0: Hey, welcome back to the channel. My name is Seam Lund and today we do another Instagram QA. If you want to ask me a question then make sure you follow me at Seem Lund on Instagram. Alright, first question Would you recommend taking berberine before dinner if you train in the morning or noon? So uh, no, <laughs> so let's say you uh, lift weights in the morning or noon, then uh, before dinner, I wouldn't recommend taking berberine because the berberine is still going to inhibit some of the, you know, adaptations that you get from exercise because it suppresses mTOR, uh, although, it, you know, it helps with blood sugar regulation and insulin levels. It's not yet the best to take after a resistance training. I would wait at least, you know, uh, 12 hours Uh, or I would wait for the next day before I ever take like a berberine after resistance training. You can take it before the training, that's going to be fine, but after I wouldn't uh, do that. This episode is brought to you by Bond Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. My favorite light and sea palmization company Blue Blocks, has rebranded themselves as Bond Charge. They're now involved with a huge range of evidence-based products to improve your wellness and life in every way. Their extensive range of premium wellness products helps you to sleep better, perform better, have more energy, recover faster, balance your hormones and reduce inflammation. My favorites are their red light light bulbs because they can be used to create a melatonin friendly environment in your bedroom by shining only red and not blue or green light waves that will reduce your sleep quality after starting to use these red light light bulbs i find it much easier to fall asleep and feel less awake before bed if you want to try out these amazing products that are the cornerstones to my most optimal sleep then head over to bondcharge.com forward last seam lund and use the code seem 15 to save 15 percent what supplements should a 21 year old take <laughs> so that's a very uh, generic question you know it's very hard to tell it depends a lot on your you know, situation your biomarkers and uh, goals and things of like that uh, you know usually 21 year olds generally don't need like any actual like metabolic health supplements unless they are obese or metabolically unhealthy uh, they may you know benefit from a s- s- few things like creatine if you're exercising Glycine I think is still very beneficial for everyone. Uh, they probably don't need collagen yet because they already have higher amounts of collagen because they're young, but uh, I would still consider taking that because it helps with, you know, boy- joints and uh, ligaments and those kind of things and skin. But yeah, it's a very generic supplement. You can check out my supplement list if you are interested. Uh, I think it's evenlan.co forward supplements, and uh, that's going to tell you what supplements I take and uh, what you could also take for different uh, reasons. How does your mornings look like? So uh, my mornings are pretty, yeah. I'm, I mean, like I do wake up maybe like five or six. I take a cold shower. I uh, do some red light therapy. I, uh, yeah, just move my body a little bit, drink some water, and that's pretty much it. Then I start to work. So I think I don't have like any uh, long, special morning routine. I, uh, yeah, just um, get up and uh, start doing stuff. That's generally what I uh, do. What is your main habits? Um, well, I mean, my main habits mostly have to do with uh, work again or, <laughs> or, you know, like I like to write. I like to research. I like to exercise. I like to spend time with my wife. Uh, I mean, yeah, those, those are kind of the things that I enjoy doing the most. Um, what is the difference between waking up at 7 or 5 a.m.? So generally, there's no difference in terms of that uh yeah like they're pretty close to each other some like morning people would maybe wake up at five or six and later people like night owls generally wake up even later that they wake up like 10 or 11 a.m but yeah like 5 or 7 a.m generally is no difference unless it's like maybe the summer versus winter so at summer time waking up at five is yeah you're already gonna be waking up because the sun is rising whereas at winter time uh, you're probably going to be sleeping because uh, it's dark outside. So the you know natural sunlight generally has a huge effect on whether or not you wake up or not. Du-du-du. Do you use glycine powder? Where can I add it to foods? Yes, I use glycine powder. It's uh, great. I use maybe at uh, ten grams a day, and I add it to uh, coffee. Sometimes I just take it with a spoon, <laughs> and uh, you can add it to like cottage cheese or something like that. It has like a s- small uh, sweet taste, which is uh, yeah quite nice and it doesn't, you know, have any, like, harmful effects. How important is the Randall cycle? So, Randall cycle describes, or usually it's referred to in the context of uh, carbohydrates and fats, and uh, your body prioritizes different fuel sources at all times. It is burning a mixture of different fuel sources all the time. It's not burning only fat, it's not burning only carbs, it's burning different amounts. And the Randall cycle yeah determines uh, which one is prioritized or which one burn which one you burn the most. The uh, usually people use the Randall cycle when they tell you to not eat carbohydrates and fats together. So there is some you know physiological reason to uh, think that or suggest that because uh, like fats especially saturated fats they can inhibit some or make you somewhat insulin resistant and um, keep your blood sugar levels elevated for longer periods of time as well, which is, you know, not ideal. And I do think that it is a good idea to, like, you know, avoid high amounts of fats and carbs together because it also increases the total calorie content of the meal. Um, but yeah, like for the optimal blood sugar and insulin sensitivity, you do want to separate them slightly. This doesn't mean that you can't have any fat with your meal. But it would mean that they don't eat like butter with potatoes or butter with bread or um, yeah, like you know deep fried stuff, those kind of things. But let's say some beef that has a little bit of fat with potatoes is uh, fine. And also the total calorie content matters. So the Randall cycle becomes more harmful to your metabolic health the more calories you eat. If you're in a calorie deficit, then the body's own antioxidant defense systems and the other pathways that you turn on with the calorie restriction overcome, or let's say they compensate for that. And uh, likewise with exercise, the exercise is also able to overcome this Randall cycle because of activating AMPK and increasing the GLUT4 receptor activity, which then helps you to clear the bloodstream regardless of the meal content, if that makes sense. So uh, yeah, if you do care about it, then make sure you exercise before and uh, don't combine high amounts of carbs and fats together. What I like to do is, yeah, like before exercise, I eat low carb and restrict carbohydrates. And after exercise, I uh, have the carbohydrates, but I keep the fats somewhat lower. Time-restricted eating for a person with subclinical hypothyroidism and thyroid nodule is their benefits. Well, there is certain benefits for everyone of doing certain amounts of time-restricted eating. So uh, this means that just don't eat at night and don't eat immediately after waking up. Of course, you shouldn't do like a very long Fasting window. If you have hypothyroidism or other uh, related issues, so what I would stick to is like a 14 and 10 window, 14 hours fasted and 10 hours fed, which you can achieve by just stopping to eat, or you stop eating at least like, you know, three hours before bed, which is good for sleep quality generally, and melatonin production. And likewise, uh, you, in the morning, you want to wait maybe like, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours, something like that, before you start eating and uh, you already achieved the 14 and 10 window very nicely. What is your issue with eggplant? <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I have like some Instagram stories about eggplant uh, which aren't very positive. Um, generally, it has to do with the, like the taste. I don't like the taste. It's not very, you know, tasty kind of a vegetable. And uh, when you look at also the micronutrient content, then it's not worth it, in my opinion. It doesn't have like any specific or special uh, nutrients that you wouldn't get from other, vegetables and uh, combine it with a bad taste, then uh, in, my, in my opinion, it's kind of the shit tier <laughs> vegetables in that sense. Uh, why not to take glycine with protein-rich foods? What can happen? Uh, I do actually recommend to take glycine with protein-rich foods. I've never said anything against that or otherwise. And uh, yeah, it's a good idea to take glycine with protein-rich foods, especially foods that have a lot of methionine, because the glycine helps to balance the methionine, excess methionine can raise your homocysteine and we know from animal studies that uh, excess methionine also accelerates aging and shortens lifespan so yeah I think it makes makes sense to take some glycine with the uh, protein-rich food whatever you're eating Uh, but it also makes sense to take glycine with carbs because uh, glycine helps to suppress blood sugar levels or lower the blood sugar levels so uh, it's a win-win you can take glycine with uh, any food. Uh, Cold shower for better insulin sensitivity Cold showers generally don't Or like, you know, yeah, cold showers can help with insulin sensitivity by Increasing your uh, brown fat And uh, brown fat makes you more insulin sensitive It uh, helps to burn calories, it raises your metabolic rate So yeah, like when I take cold showers Then I do notice that uh, it's very easy to lose weight And uh, it's very, you know, almost effortless to um, Within reason, of course, to not get uh, extra extra fat And uh, I think that cold showers work through by increasing your brown fat and increasing your metabolic rate by making you shiver. That's the way it improves. So like the brown fat improves your insensitivity whereas the white fat is just used for just calorie balance. Difference between strength training and hypertrophy training. So generally the main difference is that strength training just requires you to recruit the muscle fibers at a near maximum intensity. So usually you need like 80 to 90% Of your uh, one rep max to uh, stimulate the uh, muscle fibers to uh, like to help with uh, like myofibrillar hypertrophy which is more like strength based hypertrophy is like sarcoplasmic hypertrophy and that you can achieve with even like 60 to 70% of your one rep max which means that yeah for strength you can stick to somewhere between three to five reps and or even like one, I mean one rep is just power, it's like speed, but uh, three to five reps is usually for strength and uh, for hypertrophy, like eight to 12 is uh, generally like this, the hypertrophy ranges. You can also, yeah, you know, time under tension affects that as well and the speed at which you do the movement. If you do exercise very slowly, like you do very slow bench press, for example, but you do only five reps, but one rep lasts thirty seconds or something. <laughs> then that also stimulates hypertrophy. But yeah, like generally, if you are just doing like regular one-second kind of reps, something or you know, one one-second eccentric, one-second uh, concentric, uh, then uh, generally that's strength is built with more like lower lower amounts of reps and longer rest periods. Uh, whereas hypertrophy is, uh, I mean, you do get hypertrophy from strength training as well. Like if you re- lift any weight, you will improve your aesthetics or body composition in terms of the muscle growth. But directly hypertrophy, you build with uh, some of like eight to 12 reps, something like that. Uh, what is the best wedgie in your opinion? <laughs> so uh, I like carrots and cauliflower. I think those are very good for the microbiome as well as, um, you know, they also have like some antioxidants in better amounts than like say eggplant, for example. <laughs> How to increase bone density in elderly already took two hips replaced so bow density the best thing for that is uh, some weight bearing exercise and uh, generally like yeah resistance training with weights barbells and stuff is the number one way to do that uh, gymnastics so i mean if you're elderly then you're probably not going to do gymnastics but gymnastics uh, or gymnasts have high amounts of bone density as well, because the, you know, force when they spring off the board or whatever on the floor, then that does like your body just needs to experience this or the bones need to experience this um, high intensity uh, stimulation or force. And uh, that like triggers this uh, collagen synthesis and uh, bone density increase as well. And uh, yeah, like weight lifting. But uh, obviously, there's also you need to make sure that you have enough protein. And collagen intake is also very important for that. And based on the studies, then the best way to do that is to like one hour before a weight-bearing exercise, you consume like 10 to 15 grams of collagen peptides with 50 milligrams of vitamin C because vitamin C initiates the collagen synthesis and is like essential for that. And one hour before, yeah, exercise, you drink that. Then you do some weight-bearing exercise, more of like like a higher intensity like uh, something like 70 to 80% of your 100 max. Or you could do plyometrics as well. So like jumps, sprints, that are like very similar in terms of the intensity. And uh, yeah, that's gonna trigger the collagen synthesis and the bone density as well and joints. To, to do is high LDL 260 plus dangerous if your triglycerides are below 100. So that's obviously a very controversial topic um, I'm not gonna you know say if it is dangerous or not i would but i would uh, still gravitate more towards wanting to be the ldl to be lower i uh, like 260 ldl is uh, super high and especially i mean your triglycerides are also pretty high 100 like if your triglycerides were to be 30 then maybe but uh, because the triglycerides are also 100 then i would definitely uh, consider that uh, somewhat dangerous because you know what the thing with ldl is that yeah LDL status or the LDL particle size matters, whether or not it's oxidized matters, lipoprotein E that matters, yes, but LDL alone is also a risk factor, because you know, eventually your LDL is gonna get oxidized anyway, like you you you're a living breathing uh, human <laughs> or a living breathing being and uh, eventually the LDL if you have higher amounts of LDL in the bloodstream that eventually it will get oxidized even if you live like a very clean lifestyle even if you avoid seed oils even if you're metabolically healthy you know there is something that will oxidize the LDL like whether that be just some environmental factors or uh, whatever it is so ideally I would still want the LDL to be you know at least 120 hundred and twenty, something like than 150 at most But for that you also need to have like low blood sugar and low uh, inflammation and low triglycerides Uh, so yeah that's what i would feel comfortable i wouldn't feel comfortable with a 260 ldl and there is of course genetic differences some people are hyper responders or uh, they have like this familial hypercholesterolemia, which uh you know i mean people with that gene variant probably have a high risk of heart disease as well because of that reason so especially if you do have that genetic history of high cholesterol and heart disease, then I would be especially careful. How do we, how do we rebel and push back against the global social credit system? <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, another somewhat uh, interesting topic. Uh, I mean, it's, will, it, there will be some, for sure, like an app and stuff like that, that will uh, track your social status with the government and stuff like that. I'm not inherently like against it. I wouldn't want it to happen, but it does obviously have like positives and its negatives. Like if you think it's all negative, then you obviously then you're like I think I think you're wrong because there are some positives as well. Obviously the positives is that there's less crime, there's less trafficking, human trafficking or less drug trafficking or whatever. Uh, There's somewhat more security in the sense, but the negative is obviously that the government can track you. The government can uh plug you off the grid and uh take turn off your bank account and stuff like that so it has like a huge negative but it also has a few positives so yeah i personally think that we would want to obviously have a society where we don't need to have any social credit system and i'm not saying that we should have it i think we shouldn't have it (laughs) but uh yeah like in, in this world that we do live in um it's um yeah i mean there's positives and negatives it's I think it's not worth it to create this uh, dystopian social credit system, for sure. Uh, with that being said, how do we rebel against it or push against it? Uh, well, I mean, you know, the easiest answer for that is to just not download the app or whatever they're creating. Don't use the software or don't use the social system. Of course, you can't avoid it completely. You probably will have to use it at some point if it were to happen. Let's hope it not. But uh, yeah, the only way is to become more self-reliant, self, you know, self, self-sustained in terms of uh, your foods, your uh, finance, and uh, yeah, to not rely on the government for a lot of things. So like many people are just living to paycheck to paycheck and they're on kind of dependent of the system for everything. But you want to have like you know, you want to be a- as off-grid as possible in terms of self-reliance. So like you know, making sure you have your own food in- food source, your own. Um, power source and uh, those kind of things which again isn't possible for every people but uh, you know the goal is to kind of move towards that as much as possible if that makes sense. Eat potato or sweet potato with or without skin so uh, I mean I like the skin it's nice if you uh, cook it in the oven becomes a bit uh, crunchy so um, yeah I don't think there's a reason to avoid the skin unless you have like very sensitivities to them usually that like the skin contains the lectins but I don't think that lectins are a problem generally for most people, especially if you cook it. Only maybe like raw raw skins, <laughs> maybe then it would be a problem. <clears throat> Hello, the best thing to reduce body inflammation, CRP. So CRP reduction generally has to involve like an entire lifestyle optimization. You know, one of you know besides diet, if you're eating a bunch of processed foods and seed oils and sugars and um, just overall calories, excess calories then, yeah, you just need to fix that. That's a big contributor to high inflammation. Another thing is just excess body fat. So if you have somewhat extra body fat, then, uh, you know, the body fat or the body fat tissue will excrete pro inflammatory cytokines into your bloodstream all the time. And it will, like, aromatase your testosterone away as well. So there's no health benefit to being overweight and there's no, like, yeah, benefit to your biomarkers to being even, like, somewhat chubby. So you want to have, like, a BMI of at least, you know, below 30, and body fat percentage for men, like, you know, 15% at most, and women, 25%, something like that. Uh, optimally, men, yeah, like 10 to 12% uh, is kind of the best, most healthiest range, I think, in my opinion. And um, females, maybe at yeah, 20 22%, but uh, definitely not above 15% for men and uh, 25% for females. Other ways to lower inflammation CRP is to exercise. So exercise in the short term does raise inflammation. But uh, in the long term it actually makes you more, you know, inflammation-free in that sense. Cold showers, cold exposure, saunas do the same from a few supplements like molecular hydrogen, vitamin C, NAC, just a few that come to mind immediately. But the most important thing is the body fat, exercise and the diet and sleep as well. If you're not sleeping enough then your uh, CRP will rise. Especially even like a few hours like even like a single night of sleeping less than six hours raises your inflammation by a little bit almost like uh, almost like a hundred percent How to get enough calcium I drink raw milk So if you are drinking or consuming any dairy then you are probably getting enough uh, calcium The uh, biggest sources of calcium are, yeah, dairy products, milk, cottage cheese, cheese, uh, but also uh, fish bones, sardines, salmon, um, and uh, yeah, like animal bones as well, like like tendons and ribs and those kind of things. Uh, Most likely, if you're not drinking or eating any dairy, then uh, you probably aren't getting enough calcium unless you are literally eating like a lot of bones. (laughs) So, in that case, yeah, it's a bit problematic. Uh, so I think most people should consume some dairy Preferably like uh, cottage cheese if they're not allergic uh, Some plant-based sources are you know spinach and like leafy greens But they're very small in the in that regard And uh, yeah if you are eating and uh, drinking dairy Then uh, you are getting generally enough Is cold cryotherapy overrated? So I mean the cryotherapy chambers with the uh, liquid, liquid nitrogen are definitely I think overrated or overpriced like one session I think it costs like 50 dollars and it lasts only like you know 15 seconds <laughs> so uh, it's not I think that kind of uh, uh, beneficial in terms of the cost to benefit ratio because from a benefit side then you'd get more benefits from an ice bath which is generally free if you have an ice bath or if you go to like a lake or something the river Something like that. The cryo chamber is suitable if you're in a city and yeah, you don't have access to cold water. And uh, yeah, it's kind of safer as well because you're not literally going into like a abandoned river or lake <laughs> that can be dangerous. Uh, so yeah, I think the cryotherapy is a bit yeah, overrated, but um, it has some benefits in terms of convenience for sure. Which one is better? Cold baths are generally like more effective than uh, cryotherapy. Optimal glycine to protein ratio for intake. Too much glycine bad. So uh, yeah, I mean, too much glycine is hard to achieve. There's studies even like 90 grams and it has no negative side effects. And uh, what I think the optimal glycine ratio would be like a methionine increases your glycine demand. One gram of methionine increases your glycine demand by one gram of glycine. So uh, yeah, I think generally you want to have like a balance. So that 50% of your protein comes from methionine-rich proteins that have higher methionine like muscle meat, eggs, fish, dairy. And 50% of your protein comes from more glycine-dominant proteins like tendons, chicken drumsticks, fish skin. Uh, I mean, fish actually has a quite balanced with a glycine-methanine ratio, like especially if you read it with the skin, so salmon with skin or sardines, uh, those are pretty balanced with uh, that Uh, But also plant-based proteins have higher amounts of glycine. Beans, legumes. I'm not sure about soy, but I do think that soy has glycine. So soybeans' name is like glycine max, I think, in Latin. So um, yeah, (laughs) that's kind of funny. But you also want to take like you know uh, glycine supplements. Uh, If you're eating like a lot of muscle meat. So I think like 10 grams of glycine on top of eating like chicken rumpsticks and fish skin is a good way to go about it or a good uh, heuristic. Which websites do you read and use for research? Thank you. So uh, yeah, most of my research is just done with PubMed and whatever the other science articles are. When I'm writing my books... Then Dr. James sends me also like a bunch of uh, papers to uh, go through and I also do my own research. But most of them just scientific studies on PubMed and uh, whatever other journal it is. I don't read like any blogs or um, like uh, influencer articles in terms of the studies or the research. I just go through the research directly. How do you reverse or slow male pattern baldness that comes with aging? So uh, I think that depends a lot on your genetics. Yeah, if you have hair loss, bad hair loss uh, genes in your family, then you're probably also going to get it at some point. Uh, men, yeah, will. You know, it's not a matter of if, but when they will get some aspects of uh, male pattern baldness. Some get it more than others. Uh, I haven't noticed anything of that. I don't have bad hair loss genes in my family. None of my grandfathers and uh, my father aren't bald, <laughs> so that's good, uh, but um lot things to slow down. You know, obviously you need to make sure you consume enough protein and collagen that helps with the hair growth. Spermidine helps with hair growth, uh, but those things are only, you know, just bandaging this uh, gushing wound. <laughs> so you want to go through the source of uh, putting putting out the uh, wound itself so that would include uh, you know I'm, I'm not into like inhibiting DHT with finasteride or something like that and i think that it's kind of worth it but there are like some shampoos i think that could help or at least alleviate the process a little bit like ketoconazole shampoo minoxidil probably so yeah something like that uh, but uh, yeah i mean this there's not a lot you can do you can only kind of slow it down with those things and uh, making sure that your hormones are also optimized um, and insulin resistance, I think, can have like a negative effect as well Radial therapy, microneedling, those are also options But again, like they're not really inhibiting hair loss They're just helping to grow the hair Doing OMAD and not eat before 6 hours after the training, is it too much and for a woman? I think 6 hours after training is too much, like uh, especially for a woman, you want to do it, let's say, you know, three hours as a female. Uh, so, yeah, that can answer the question. As a man, you can probably get away with more, you can get away with eight or ten, but it's not still optimal for the hypertrophy and stuff. Um, yeah, I would stick to four hours at max for either case. Thoughts on L carnitine supplement to use daily? So, L carnitine is great, I think, um, you know, if you're eating animal protein and meat then you are probably getting enough uh, but uh, supplementing carnitine can help with the androgen receptor density which helps with muscle growth um, but there is the conversion of carnitine into TMAO in the gut which is associated with increased heart disease risk um, some people say that you can take like garlic or allicin to uh, counteract that uh, yeah maybe that can be so so yeah, I do take I do take carnitine before my exercise. So I don't take it daily. I only take it before resistance training to help with the androgen receptor density and uh, muscle growth from that. But uh, yeah, that's that's how we do it. Nicotine nicotine are really bad. So nicotine alone isn't. So nic- nicotine gums and patches, they're not really like harmful. They actually have many cognitive and neuroprotective effects. So they're good good nootropic for focus and productivity, and as well you know help. To prevent some aspects of neurodegeneration uh, but if you get the nicotine from uh, smoke or smoking then obviously that's kind of bad with nicotine it's obviously like addictive substance if you start using too much then uh, it will have you know psychological and physiological negative side effects one of the biggest things that you could get from getting too much nicotine is um, like decrease in vasodilation and decreased blood flow so it can yeah be problematic for heart disease as well as other aspects of you know blood flow If you get it too much or if you take it too much, I think whatever, like two milligrams a day is very safe. But um, more than that, four milligrams, six milligrams is probably a bit uh, too much. Best way to improve deep sleep. So for that, you know, deep sleep happens in the first half of the night, which uh, occurs, you know, in conjunction with the other repair hormones like melatonin, growth hormone, and autophagy. So what you want to do is that Before bed, like an hour or so, you want to have already melatonin surging through your body. So for that, block out blue light, use red light in your bedroom, wind down, maybe take a melatonin supplement like one milligram, and that's going to boost your melatonin levels already naturally. And when you do fall asleep, you're going to have higher amounts of melatonin that helps with the repair and gets you more deep sleep. That's how you essentially do it. Do you need to protect eyes when using red light? So uh, I wouldn't look into directly the red light <laughs> That's that will harm the eyes because it's too bright. But uh, yeah, you can gaze around it and it won't have like any direct negative side effects. Last question, and this is a weird one. Have you tried raw deer placenta? <laughs> uh, no, no, I haven't. Um, I don't, I'm not very keen on uh, doing that. I don't think I'll ever do it. But, uh, yeah, I don't see any, like, re- real reason to do that. Maybe raw liver, at, uh, uh, that could have, like, some benefits. But, uh, yeah, no, not interested in raw deer placenta. But, that's it for this Q&A. If you want to ask yourself a question, then make sure you follow me on Instagram, at Lund. But, other than that, thanks for watching this video. Make sure to click like, subscribe, notification bell as well. My name is Seam. Stay optimized, stay empowered.